Hi, this is Rachel McElroy. Hey, this is Griffin McElroy. And this is wonderful. Yeah, cool. Lean. Don't I look cool? Tell, hey, babe. Tell everybody how cool I look right now. You got one finger just lovingly stroking the dials <laughs> that you make the sound that you all hear. I look cool as hell, don't I? Like I like I could give a fuck. With your laptop precariously under your mm. left elbow and a drinking a sparkling water right sparkling over that Sparkling water in your right. Hey, does it look like I give a dang? It does actually very much so. Okay. Well, <laughs> Hey, I missed you so bad. I missed you too. And so I was trying to look seductive and cool like a sexy man with my cool lean and, you know, fiddling with the sound knobs um, and drinking my my flavorless sparkling water. I thought that, that would make me look like a badass biker boy or something like that. And I mean, it obviously worked because uh, while we were sound testing, I did make a joke about knobs. Yeah, you did. Um, and you'll never guess what body part she was equating those two <laughs> folks. It was really good. Hey, do you have any small... This is a show where we talk about things that we really like, and I'm very excited to do it this week. Do you have any small wonders? I do. Okay. Getting digital photos printed. Huh. That's a, that is one that you are actually very much into more than anybody I've ever met. You know, I realize like we're probably going to be the last generation that grows up with photo albums. Yeah. Unless. Unless. We take it on ourselves to keep the tradition alive. I think it's important. I really like it. I think it's important, too. Um, that weirdly dovetails with one of my subjects. Interesting. Um, I, I, I have a small wonder. It's a book I've been reading called Seven Eves by Neil Stevenson. Uh, it, it's, it's Neil Stevenson is like a sci-fi, hard sci-fi author. He did Snow Crash and a bunch of different books. Snow Crash is basically like what inspired The Matrix and a bunch of stuff like that. Uh, and I've liked a, a few of his books, and some of them are super long and technical and scare me off, and I thought 70s was going to be one of them. Uh, but then my therapist was like, stick with it. It gets good. And holy shit, Are you saying right. 70s or seven? Seven, seven eves. It's a uh, palindrome. Seven eves. Yeah, okay. yeah. Uh, it's basically about the moon blows up, and then the Earth has two years before the moon falls down on it and kills everybody. And so like humanity has to figure out a way to shoot themselves somewhat into space and keep like homo sapiens. Oh. Like go and uh, and and figure out how to live up mm. there, but it's like super realistic. It's not like Battlestar Galactica, is where it's this, like we shoot up there with robots. It's like how do orbits work? Is this what the movie was based on with Ben Affleck and Liv Tyler? Uh, yeah, this is so. If you've seen Armageddon or mm -hmm. Deep Impact, they both are adaptations exactly of okay. Seventies. Okay, uh, no, it's really, it's real, it's just really fucking gripping, and it goes places that uh, I, I didn't expect. And oh, also, is hugely depressing for the first part of it, <laughs> as you can imagine, because of what I described. But yeah. Uh, yeah, it's it's I'm I I was engrossed in it the whole tour. You're a real sci-fi guy lately. I guess I am. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I guess I am. Yeah. Uh, who goes first this week? I think it's you. Um, I'll do my second thing first because it kind of dovetails with what you were talking about printing digital okay. photos. And when I say what this thing is going to be, there's going to be the little man who lives in your brain who tells you to pay attention to things or not. It's going to shut off. And that's not <laughs> just for our listeners. That's also for Rachel. Because yes. what well, the sentence I'm going to say is going to sound like I'm just saying like vegetables out really loud or, or something along those okay. lines. Okay. That, okay. Um, I want to talk about... Uh, Video game preservation. Now listen, hear me out. It's a fascinating topic, I promise. Because I started thinking about it today because I was thinking about like emulators and stuff like that. Uh, and I remember hearing like Can about, I wait? Can I make efforts. some guesses? Yes, please. Can I make some guesses? Yes. So you said video game preservation. Yes. Is this like 
art restoration in that it's people with little brushes preserving old Nintendo cartridges. You're not, uh, you're like halfway there. Okay. I thought you were going to say it's when you like put it. When uh, you blow on it to make sure that. <laughs> yes, that's actually, that's really bad for it because your saliva is like in your, in your blowing and that gets on the contacts and rusts them, which is really bad. Uh, <laughs> but like, this is actually kind of what I'm talking about. So okay. like you think about uh, photos or art or um Uh, books or film to an extent and all of these things are relatively easy to archive uh movies actually is maybe not a great example because a lot of movies made before like the 1950s are just gone forever because they were just you know printed physical media and then when every copy of those got like destroyed like that's it for that movie and humanity never gets to see it again maybe i'm thinking about this because of this 70s book that i've been reading but anyway uh, games are a lot harder to do with that. Uh, it's not like a book where you can pick it up and read it. If you want to save like a Sega Genesis game, yeah, uh, you have to have like the the you know the software code that is on the physical cartridge that has to be played in another piece of uh, technology like a Sega Genesis. Uh, even then, like how you go about ripping it off that cartridge if you don't have like the source code that you know Sega had yeah. when they first made the game, it's incredibly complicated. It's also illegal because it's it, according to the the, uh, what is it? Digital Digital Rights Millennium Act, I th- something like that. I was actually going to ask you. You know, when your brother Justin was doing that whole FMV quest, yes. How was he playing those games? Do you know? On a Sega CD, Justin oh, still has wow. a Sega CD. It's the DMCA, Digital Millennia Copyright Act, or something like that. Oh, that basically okay. says like anything you do that goes around DRM, which is Digital Rights Management, which is like uh, how you. Uh, it, it's what makes it illegal to like rip a copy of Sonic the Hedgehog off the, off the card and then give it away for free because that copy is yours and that's what the DRM says. Okay. So anything that goes around that is is illegal. So there's all of these challenges you know, put towards saving, saving old games. Uh, but it's gotten to the point where like, we kind of have to poop or get off the pot with some of these. Uh, even now, like a lot of games, there was a video game market crash in 1983 where like games first started to become a big, big thing in the household. And so everybody started making these cheap, shitty, awful games and it caused the market to crash because people didn't want to buy video games anymore. A lot of those, while they were bad, are just gone because yeah. there was no way to digitize them and these companies went under instantly. So they don't have the old like code for them, uh, which you think about that and it's like, oh, who cares if you don't save a bad game? These games represent, you know, thousands and thousands of hours of, of work that went into them and all of these different art, you know, disciplines of art uh, that went into them. And the idea that they can just kind of disappear is wild. Well, yeah, it's like any other like art piece in that it inspires later pieces yeah oh, so there's God, yeah. relevance to it because you're curious like oh i wonder where they got this idea and you can like trace it back and you can do that with pretty much any other medium games yeah. are so unique in that there are all of these steps that you have to go through to actually experience them and those steps are exactly what sort of make them difficult to archive and then like modern day you, you're talking about stuff like uh games that have to connect to remote servers to even function games that have oh. to do like uh an authentic uh, authentication check like with an online server like a game on steam that has to like check on steam uh before you can even play it like if mm-hmm. those servers disappear that game's gone there's or multiplayer like, only games that are just gone if the server happened to like second life it happens 
all the times with MMOs. Yeah. So there's there have been countless. I mean, MMOs are maybe the get the worst of it. And uh, there's actually like a lot of MMO developers who are like very enthusiastic about this exact topic. Yeah. Uh, there's a guy named uh, Rafe Coster, maybe Raf. Uh, probably Raf. It's short for Raphael, I would imagine, who yeah. uh, was like a pioneer in like early MMOs. He was like a, a, a big leader in this because a lot of his games, uh, MMOs take so much work to put up and they have all of these technological restrictions and they require, you know, an, a, a server where other people can go and access it together. Uh, all that stuff disappears. And this game that you just spent all of these thousands of hours working on can be published, released, and then die and disappear forever within the span of a decade, which is in, like insane. That is a, that that is a very, very short turnaround. Um, and so I think that uh, video game preservation is like important and very, very fascinating. Uh, obviously, it, it involves getting sort of physical media off of the physical media that it's on. I didn't know this. Discs, like optical discs, uh, after like a couple of decades, they can start to rot. Wait, when you say optical discs, are you talking like CDs? Like okay. any any sort of any CD, whether it's you know an old AOL demo CD or like uh, old PC games printed on CDs, uh, they can rot. Like there's actual sort of uh, like there's aluminum that is used as like a reflective surface on a lot of old discs, and it's oh. layers and layers of like aluminum and, and plastic and all these different layers, and there can just start to be this natural decay in, within the layers of the disc huh. that will render it irreda- unreadable, and if that's the only thing that a game is printed on and that happens to every disc like that game's just just gone forever um and uh, cartridges are very bad too i've actually experienced this uh a lot of old uh games especially ones like rpgs that you can like save your progress have batteries and those batteries like are what allow you to like continue to save the game right when you take a you know zelda out of the out of the super nintendo the thing that remembers what it is needs power uh or else oh. it's just gonna go if that battery goes like then that is rendered yeah i guess that makes sense now that i think about it and then obviously like when games stop being successful or when they're printed on things uh you know consoles that are no longer viable uh no longer relevant uh then people will just start making stop making those games and then it's like a doomsday clock is going uh unless the the developers of those games are forward thinking enough to like preserve that source code which in a lot of cases they they or are not game blaster 72 is on ebay with the only copy left yeah exactly um and so uh, there there are people out there who are like working to to preserve games there's specifically there is a, an organization called the uh video game history foundation that is like just enthusiastic about this like doesn't want us to have another repeat of like the you know countless films that we lost just to just to time and decay uh and then there's organizations that like you know find ways to display those games like the uh, museum of art and digital entertainment are made uh is, is is doing this exact kind of thing too uh what's interesting is the only way that they are able to make legal headway in this is working with the library of congress i didn't know this you can petition the library of congress every three years to make exceptions to various copyright laws uh, that will allow you to do exactly this kind of thing. Uh, so, like the 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 DMCA basically says, like you can't you can't do this thing. And they went to the Library of Congress, like if you don't allow us to start ripping games off legally, they're going to disappear forever. And so, in two thousand three, the Library of Congress uh, made this this landmark ruling that said uh, games that are in quote formats that have become obsolete and which require the original media or hardware as a condition of access now have uh, an exception where you can you can preserve that digitally yourself and sort of circumvent DRM that still makes it illegal to 
give it away to people, but that is what makes it legal for you to rip something off of your own thing and save it digitally. And then in more recent years, they've sort of broadened it. Uh, just in 2018 alone, they this is this is maybe the wildest thing that I found out about this. Uh, it, they made it legal to copy wholesale MMORPGs. So like there was a game called Star Wars Galaxies that you just can't play anymore. It's just gone. Everybody who worked on it can never show anybody this game. And now it's legal to, to take the code from that if you acquire it legally and allow people to actually play it as long as they are inside of a museum or oh. a, an archive of some sort. So there could be an archive or museum of, of some sort where you can go and play Star Wars Galaxies with other players, but all of you have to be within museums where that game is stored. I wonder if there's a future where like arcades are getting classifications as museums so that they can still make money that's and legally share games. Yeah, maybe. I mean, maybe that's, I mean, arcade machines though, that's a, that's, that's that is already i watched my own arcades at the huntington mall like very quickly yeah. die where i would go in one day and it'd just be like oh that uh you know that that bass fishing game that you like is gone forever because it broke <laughs> and we're not going to pay to fix it um i think that's really interesting i think that the idea of uh, the idea of going to a museum so you can play you know old yeah. old mmos is is interesting in and of itself um, and also there's like pushback from from game developers and the Entertainment Software Association, which is like the big lobbying group, doesn't like all of this stuff happening because they hear, you know, you can play all these games for free and that smacks of, of piracy. And then the people who actually make these games, uh, Raf Koster has a quote where he says, I would rather people play my game for free than have it disappear yeah, forever. So from a, like an, an artist perspective of like, I, I don't want the thing that I worked so hard on that I poured my heart into to just be gone forever yeah. and no it's not like it's like the newest you know Fortnite or whatever it's a game that nobody can play anymore so what's the harm yeah there's so much that goes into this there's so much lobbying and so many so much like politicking uh this 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 movement that they that got the mmos preserved last year with the library of congress was like a huge thing a lot of people working on it because if it, if it didn't happen then you know more mmos go under every single year are we going to lose them forever um i just think the whole thing is so fast fascinating and also like really super important uh and i did not sort of appreciate how how complex an issue it was until i started digging into it i'm really excited about what this might do for museums too yeah i mean there are there are <laughs> like lots of the history museum and the art museum and the, like science and industry like all have video games in them all of a sudden <laughs> there are i mean there, there are maybe not those but there's like the museum of moving images and yeah. uh museum of modern art i believe has a has a, a whole bunch of games and they have mm -hmm. a, like a cycling exhibits that come in with with game developers Just like in them. a bunch of kids saying like mom can we go to the museum this weekend it's not gonna be yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's not gonna be like a uncommon thing like we're we're yeah. for sure you know going to have going to have more of those and it's going to be because of efforts like these where if these weren't happening like <clears throat> who the fuck knows like super mario brothers the original nes game if nobody was ripping them yeah. it could just be gone but luckily it, the opposite is true archive.org which is like the the uh, library of congress website actually like you can play a lot of these games just on there a lot of these games like oh. old uh, like arcade and main games are just like up there and you can play them for free and it's all part of these these efforts it's super fascinating that's cool what's your first thing sunshine <laughs> <laughs> the the space movie the sci-fi movie you ever see that one no all right well the sun stops working so it's like the opposite of 70s but they have to fly a ship into it and blow it up to get the sun what working. is with this weird sci-fi trope of like something's <laughs> going wrong in space yeah. we have to hurdle a craft at it the celestial bodies got all fucked up it's a good flick
No, I'm talking about the light that comes from the sun. I like that too. It's important. <laughs> it is important. That's why they sent a ship to blow it up, to save it. To blow it up to save it. Yeah. Mm, there's something there, Griffin. Mm, kill your darlings. Yeah. My The sun is my darling, and one day I'm going to blow the fuck up out of it. I don't know if I would say that I have seasonal affective disorder, which is like people that when the winter months come. Yes feel like this kind of oppressive uh, weight on their just general being sure because they're not getting sunlight. But I will say that it was super cloudy every single day you were gone and rainy and cold and miserable. And then today it was sunny and I just like, I just practically like whistled out to the car. Yeah, that's a different thing from seasonal affective disorder, but it's, it's, but I, also... I notice, like, I notice how lack of sunlight like really bums me out. Oh, for sure. It's the fucking worst, man. <laughs> that's why I had to leave Chicago because I, I was sad for fucking five straight months. I know. Yeah. So a lot of the benefits of sun comes down to things like vitamin D. D, though. Oh, that D make you strong, though. (laughs) Vitamin D and then serotonin levels. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, that's that's the that's the sugar sprinkled on top of that D cake. And then the absence of sun, uh, the absence of sun encourages the increase of melatonin, which is what makes you so sleepy. Oh, okay. Uh, cause you know how, like when Henry was having all that trouble sleeping, people were like, you need to get him out in the sun during the day. And mm. so the absence of the sun will like encourage him to be sleepier at night. Yeah. Uh, so when it's like super dark and gloomy outside, people are more likely to be kind of sleepy and lethargic. And we had to explain to those people, you can't take babies outside because their birds are just waiting to swoop down and grab these guys. <laughs> every day, every day. No, it was 50 tough. babies get just like scooped by a grackle. Oh, I thought you were talking about how every day how we had to fight off birds. No, we just didn't fuck with it. We didn't take them outside. And so his <laughs> sleep was weird, but I wasn't about to sacrifice our baby to the grackle gods. <sighs> yeah, I'm glad that he made it through that first year. Yeah, me too. Also, grackles don't have a god. They're the fucking demon <laughs> animals. No, <laughs> they're great. The I love them, but holy shit, when they poop everywhere all over the Central yeah. Market parking lot and you can't... I got shit on by a grackle. We, I did do that segment and then a grackle shit right on me while we were having a little picnic behind the Central Market and then my feelings took a shit. <laughs> if video game preservation somehow found a way to shit on me while I was having a nice picnic with my, my wife and son and friends, then I would, I would not like them anymore either. Yeah. Uh, so let me tell you a little bit about this vitamin D. Uh, so you only need about five to 15 minutes of sunlight to get the benefits of vitamin D. Okay. So that, that kind of assuages any fears you might have about, you know, sunburn or, or sun damage. We're only talking about five to 15 minutes. Yes. Although that stuff is obviously very real and yeah. be, be, be smart, be safe out there. Yeah. Folks. No, I encourage you if you are thinking like, oh, the sun's going to change my life, you should probably talk to a dermatologist yeah. because uh, I am not an expert. But one thing that happens is that people that have increased melanin, people that have darker skin complexion, actually are less likely to benefit from the vitamin D in the sun because that melanin acts as like a natural defense. Yeah, I guess, what is it? Uh, Wait, I thought uh, darker colors absorb more light, but lighter colors reflect it. Dark pigment in the skin reduces the skin's ability to synthesize vitamin D from sunlight. Huh, interesting. Okay. Uh, So if you have olive brown or black skin, you already have a high concentration of melanin, uh, which makes it more difficult to benefit from that that vitamin D. I know, it's tricky. 
I guess you guys just drink Sunny D at that point, mm-hmm. which is also good. I actually think I prefer that to sun, sunlight on my skin. I do think I prefer that very sweet orange uh, beverage. Really? Oh, fuck yeah. Are you kidding me? Ugh. I will crush some Sunny D any day of the week. Oh, I want to make a Sunny D mimosa. <laughs> you heard it here first. I'm going to make a Sunny D mimosa. I will report back to you all what it's like. Uh, you know, this weekend, let's let's. Take I want to get. Trip. I want to get strong and. We drunk. have some champagne right now. We could Fuck really. Yeah. We could go for it. All right. Uh, so vitamin D helps the body absorb calcium, which helps maintain bone density and prevent osteoporosis. Uh, there's also been research to show that vitamin D may also protect against diabetes, cancer, rheumatoid arthritis, and heart disease. It's a good vitamin, man. It's a good vitamin. Probably the best one. According to the World Health Organization, sun exposure might help treat skin conditions. Doctors have recommended UV radiation exposure to treat things like psoriasis, eczema, jaundice, and acne. That one I'm fully on board with. Mm-hmm. I, my skin gets so garbage during the I've winter. I've known people with psoriasis who have actually done like... UV I've never treatment. done like UV treatments, but like mm-hmm. literally when the summertime comes around, I look like a, an Adonis out there. Yeah, you do. But then when it doesn't, I look like the Sleeping Beauty witch or something. <laughs> Five to 15 minutes of sunlight. That's it? Two to three times a week. I can do that. Yeah, I think it, I think it's worthwhile. I, I definitely got out there for a few minutes today just to get a little, a little sun on the arms and the hands and the face. Uh, sunlight also cues special areas in the retina, which triggers the release of serotonin. Well, that one seems weird. Your uh, eye can see a thing so The cool light-induced that... effects of serotonin are triggered by sunlight that goes in through your eye. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. I stand corrected. I love these peepers. What can't they do for me? Which may relate to the whole seasonal affective disorder if your serotonin dips uh, in the wintertime. Yeah. Because you're not getting all that, that sun serotonin. I'm not, you know, again, not an expert. <laughs> uh, did about 20 minutes of research, but I will tell you what. What? I believe it. The sun is good. Because I love the sun. Yeah. And I miss it when it's gone. You mean every ni- at nighttime? Do you get sad every night? <laughs> <laughs> no, I can make it through the night. It's the daytimes that the, are the toughest. She said, she said the sun is going away to die. And I said, no, baby, we'll be back tomorrow. And then I sang her the relevant song for Manny. What's your next thing? My next thing is stealing you away. Oh, yeah. Uh, Do you want to hear some personal messages? I would love it. Ooh, what was that voice? I don't know, but it's fun. (laughs) I've never made that voice before. I can't do it again. Okay. It can be intimidating trying to roll with the console cowboys in cyberspace. Um, There's always the worry that maybe they know something that you don't vis-a-vis website design or website functionality and you think that i could never be that i could never be among their illustrious ranks griffin if i wanted to build a website where i ranked my favorite episodes of ghostwriter would i be able to do that well first of all it would be the same list as everybody else's with the julia <laughs> styles episode at the top but yes you can do that with squarespace it's the all-in-one platform for building your brand and growing your business online Every Squarespace website and online store comes with a suite of integrated features and useful guides that help maximize prominence among search results. Do you want to have special functionality, like maybe a members-only VIP club section of your website? You can do that. Do you want to sell stuff? Yeah, you can do that too. Do you want to have an online scheduler so that people you can you can sell?
sell uh, your time? Yeah, you can do that also. Anything is possible. That's um there for the commercial, the Super Bowl commercial they had. That was my voice yelling, anything is possible in the wow. background. Yeah, not a lot of people know that. Hey, head to squarespace.com slash wonderfulpod for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code wonderfulpod to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Griffin? Yeah. You know what's a shame? What? Is that when you order uh, meals to be delivered to you, they can only be for dinner. That's true because of the law. But wait, wait, what's this coming across our desk? The law is different now? (laughs) It's factor. These rebels are operating outside the boundaries of food law. (laughs) Factor has breakfast. They have midday bites. They have smoothies. Uh, There's lots of stuff you can get with Factor. What other things can you get with Factor? Well, I'm looking at this menu right now. They got a lot of tasty little options for you. I'm talking about artichoke and spinach chicken with roasted zucchini and tomato butter. Did you even know that butter could be tomato? (laughs) Not me. Shredded chicken and loaded mashed taters. With I changed the word. They say potatoes, but I said taters, precious. With mushroom <laughs> gravy, smoked cheddar, uh, bacon, and Parmesan broccoli. Uh, this this menu is out of sight, and my mouth is just watering looking at these glossy JPEGs of tasty food. So head to factormeals.com slash wonderful50 and use code wonderful50 to get 50% off. That's code wonderful50 at factormeals.com slash wonderful50 to get 50% off. Uh, this message is for Nir. It is from Robin. Hi, Nir. Sorry to bug you, but I love your dork butt, even if you do have a weird obsession with eating bugs. You're a pretty fly gal and a really great mother. I think it might be Mother. Mother. Yeah, that's hyphenated. Also, P.S., want to get married and stuff. I don't know if this is a proposal or a cute way of referring to the fact that they are already engaged. If it's the former... This is a, one of the this is one of the wilder ways we've seen doing it. And congratulations! <laughs> um, I, I hope I'm not talking over it right now, but I do want to know what a mother is. I think it's somebody who owns moths, which is his own story. <laughs> Can I read the other one? Yes. Uh, this one's for JB, and it's from Connor, who says, "Hi, baby. Hi, baby. I just wanted to remind you that you are amazing, talented, and deserve the best. I can't wait to spend the rest of our lives making the world more wonderful together. If we're in the same city, come hug me once you've heard this. If not, let's call. Hopefully we're having an excellent 20 by teen. I hope so, too. I hope so, too. I hope you're in the same city, and I hope that you can give each other the deepest hug. Now, by deep hug, you're probably wondering what I mean. Yeah. It's my own secret technique. And you got to get way up in those armpits, way up there. Greetings. I am Plek Dexsetter, contacting you from the Zik Squadron, which is frankly uh, sort of crappy, but I'm, I'm here on a heroic mission with my trusty crew, C-53. <laughs> heroic feels like an exaggeration. Okay, part. sure. And, and uh, security officer Dar. Plek, don't put me in your stupid recording. Well, and we're all traveling aboard our trusty starship, the Bargerian Jade. Bargy. What? Sorry. I'm awake. I'm awake. I was, it's fine. I was just flying while asleep. Hey there, this is Alden Ford. I play Plek, and we are so excited to announce that our podcast, Mission to Zix, is now part of the Maximum Fun Network. Our third season launches on Max Fun on March 20th. Binge seasons one and two right now. That's Mission to Zix, Z-Y-X-X. Can I tell you about my second thing? Yes, please. My second thing is going to sound strangely worded. My second thing is visiting new orleans 
going to being being in New Orleans. I didn't want to just do New Orleans because I feel like that there's a whole bunch of like culture and history there that I wouldn't be able to tap into. In See, either I read it as like you saying like wouldn't want to live there. Happy to visit. Oh no, I, that's not <laughs> it. I'm sure the people who live there are, are having themselves a great time too. Uh, I just want to talk about visiting it because I've only visited it and I've never really learned a lot about the. Even if I had sort of come up with an exhaustive report on its on yeah, its culture and history, like this would it, this you would, have barely scraped the surface of New Orleans. That's exactly it. I've been there four times now. We went for a tour last week, and by the way, this is not a judgment on Birmingham, which we also went to on this tour. It was lovely, but I. I was there for all of like 16 hours. We, we spent a nice three <laughs> days in New Orleans and Rachel and I have gone up there uh, a few times. Um, and I genuinely feel like, and this is going to sound like I'm in danger of that one SNL sketch where they talk about New Orleans. Uh, I really feel like there's not really another place like it on earth. And I've, I've been to lots of very cool cities and I love traveling to, to new places. Uh, and, and obviously cities have their own sort of unique stuff going on there, but New Orleans has so much unique stuff that it feels like yeah. the word city shouldn't even apply. Like there's towns and villages and cities and then New Orleans is like a something like a, always a kind sector. of magical happens when we go to New Orleans. I feel like we always end up having some kind of like really unique Weird, magical like, experience. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and that's what I really like about it. I had a, a day on this tour where like before everybody kind of got up and moved. And I just like left the hotel, which if I've never really talked about my sort of tour habits, but that's not something I even do a lot of the time. I just like left the hotel and just like walked around for a couple hours. And it was so good. It's such a good place to walk around. It's like a living, there's so much living history there from all mm-hmm. of the different sort of uh, cultures that have gotten a hand on that ball and, and helped shape it. Uh, so just from like an architectural standpoint, like why the fuck is there a garden there, 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 and there, and there? Uh, like that's, that stuff is very interesting. Everything is really tight and compact and very walkable. And there's just all these different places that you want to you know dip your snoot into uh and there's like entire streets that's just like every storefront here is an art gallery or an antique shop you're talking about downtown new orleans i'm mostly talking about the french quarter yes although we've spent some time in other places sort of walking around and obviously it's not quite as 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 compact it's not as condensed uh but even though we rachel and i were lucky enough to stay in an airbnb in i forget which neighborhood uh but that that street was so wild like every every house on that street looked so completely different we stayed in a house once that i think was they actually shot some of Trime in which was also like yeah it was very in the neighborhood strange. where it was shot yeah but obviously I'm, I'm focusing mostly on the french quarter because that's where i spent most of my my time it's where our hotel was but there's obviously a lot more going on in new orleans just that just just than than that um but man that that spot makes for some good aimless wondering like you can just be walking around and like dipping into like these different art art stores and then you can just turn the corner and there's a huge like park where people are you know uh painting and there's a dance troupe and there's a half dozen buskers and there's a dude doing some magic that's not an exaggeration like these are the things that you can just see there and then there's a big church you can go inside and that's really nice and then you go a few more blocks and there's an open market by the river and like you just keep going going around without much of a destination and just like see a bunch of cool shit and I like that a lot because I yeah. get very anxious that I'm not going to see cool shit if I put in the work to actually like go out and walk around. It's nice, too, because so I went to New Orleans the first time when I was like 20 years old, yes. maybe. 
Uh, and it's nice to go as an older adult because I feel like when you're very young, the biggest, most exciting thing about New Orleans is just drinking a whole lot. Yeah, I don't even like uh, that. But as you get older, it's like a whole new nice experience too to be like an adult in a city that is that beautiful. It's a and it's like a very localized like culture. There's a lot of stuff there that you can't really recreate in a lot of other places. Yeah, I'm not a big Bourbon Street fan. I think it's kind of, I don't like it. It's it doesn't. There's a smell yeah. there that's quite bad, and then there's, there's like a, a lot desperation of, and a just a just a weird energy. Yeah, there's just a lot of sort of. Um, just sort of roving packs of midlife crises just sort of going around <laughs> and making bad smells in places. That's not, that stuff's not great, but there's great bars there. There's really cool bars where you can go and get like a very fancy, weird cocktail. Rachel and I and our group of friends once went to a bar. I forget where it was, but it did got hurricanes. Well, we did that. That was not the story I was going to tell. Cause that makes us oh, sound okay. like the walking midlife crises <laughs> people, but we went to a bar that had no electric lighting in it. It was all like gas lamp lit. And there was a dude just like playing piano, like in, side the whole yeah. time and it was so weird and such a cool mm -hmm. experience and then like i'm very picky about uh food i get sort of um the idea of going out with my f whole big big family to like a restaurant uh stresses me out because there's a lot of us now uh and so like you know if we're gonna make reservations at a place i want it to be super nice uh we made some pretty like quick fire reservations for some places that we all got to eat at and share these nice meals and every fucking one of them was so good there's food that i only eat there that i forget that i really like until i come back for three straight days two meals a day i basically ate some sort of fish or seafood <laughs> yeah. with rice covered in a sauce that was flavorful <laughs> and it was red to brown it was in the red to brown spectrum somewhere in there and every single bite of it was so fucking good um I, this is sort of just a lot of um uh aimless talking but like that's kind of the thing i like about new orleans is any other city we go to i want to have a fucking plan i want to know where we're going i want to know where the best stops are and just like go there uh, and New Orleans is the only place really in the world that I've been to where I feel like I can just like walk out the front door yeah. and like, let's kind of see what happens. And I feel like that that is the that's the cliche about about New Orleans. I know. That's but, what everybody says about New but Orleans. But there's a there's a functional <laughs> there's a functional reason behind it. It's not yeah. just like mm, things are things are different. We everything's uh, the destination, baby. But like, yeah, kind of. Yeah. Kind of SNL sketch. Kind of. Yeah. I guess what I'm saying is kinda. When I, when I, the first time I went to New Orleans, we stayed in a hostel uh, and my friend and I woke up a little bit earlier than everybody else. And the guy that worked there just decided to make us these really nice omelets. All right. And it was just like, it, it was just this moment of just like, everything is so magical here. I just stumbled on this. I stumbled on this store that sold like sold like handmade wooden crafts, and I found this like wooden train set for Henry. So I bought it, and the woman at the cashier took like fifteen full minutes to ring me up, which I would have been frustrated by. But it was really nice talking to her about all of her cool like wood projects. Uh, yeah, I I like these are like the experiences that you want to have when you travel, and I feel like New Orleans. It's not just like it's not just like a company line. It's not just like a motto. Like it's a, it is engineered from the ground up to just be sort of yeah. that all over. And I really like it a lot. Me too. We went to a wedding once in a wax museum. There, this city fucking kicks ass. <laughs> uh, what's your second thing? My second thing is umami. 
Yeah. Yeah. I just had me a big umami umami dish. Had that Romesco chicken from Snap mm-hmm. Kitchen. It's got that smoky flavor and then the earthy mushrooms and the mm-hmm. kale. It's just all umami all the time. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I was thinking about this uh, recently because umami, like the concept of umami is a relatively new thing, which is kind of rad to think about. Like, like the, the established name the for word of it that. Yes. Yeah, yes. Yes. Like not the flavor itself. No. Right. No, obviously the flavor has existed, but there wasn't really a name for it for a very long time. It was just, you know, like the standard, like sweet, salty, sour, bitter. Yeah. I and love then, that show on Netflix. It's so good. <laughs> In the early 20th century, a Japanese chemist named Kakune Ikedo was puzzled by this dashi broth that he was eating. The broth contained no meat or kelp, which were kind of traditional things you would find in dashi, but it had this seaweed and it was like this flavor that he was just like, you know what, I I don't know that there's really a word for this. So he chemically treated the seaweed uh, and found that the crystals were chemically identical to glutamic acid, which Mm. is a type of amino acid found in the human body. And when those crystals were dissolved again into liquid or sprinkled on food, the flavor exploded. And so he coined this as the fifth taste, umami or deliciousness, (laughs) which is what umami means. There's so much shit in that story that I want to dive into. That is, first of all, that's a very presumptive, hey guys, I invented a new flavor. What is it? Deliciousness. (laughs) All right, dude. All right. But at the same time, can you imagine how psyched you... This would be like seeing a new color, and it's like, oh, okay, there it is. Yeah, hey guys, do you notice this? It was here the whole time. Third thought, if I eat a tennis ball, how would you describe that flavor? I mean, probably bitter. Yeah, probably. (laughs) (laughs) This is fun, I'll do another one. Okay. Um, What about a horse... uh, What about a crab apple? A crab apple, probably sour. Oh, maybe... What about a um, <laughs> This is fun. This is fun for everyone. What about a car tire? Probably bitter again. Yeah, most things are, very similar. When to you the think about ball. it, most things. If I tried to, if I licked everything in this office and I kept a graph of it, I feel like it would be ninety nine point nine percent bitter. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> I'm looking around. Is there anything in this room that's sweet, sour, or salty, or umami? I mean, salty probably. What, like our our skin? Well, mm. like, you know, the stuff that you get sweaty with your sweatiness. Oh, grody. <laughs> Why'd you have to go there, babe? So grody. So this glutamate uh, that is the kind of the main characteristic of umami flavor can be found in beef, pork, chicken, tomatoes, mushrooms, soy, potatoes, carrots, Parmesan cheese, green tea, tuna, and shrimp. Is this what monosodium glutamate is like derived from? Yes, I'm going to get there. Okay, interesting. Uh, so yeah, so like a lot of proteins, but then also stuff, you know, like mushrooms, as you mentioned, and then, uh, Parmesan cheese, which I'd never really thought about, but that's definitely true. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely not a salty cheese. I never really thought of like pasta as like a particularly umami dish, but it has tomatoes and Parmesan. Yeah, sure. Yeah. You spice Uh, it up though. You make it, you make it, you make it spicy. Rachel makes it spicy in all things. (laughs) Thank you. If you know what I'm, if if you know what I'm saying, Griffin. Thank you. I'm talking about pasta mostly. No, just kidding. All all things. That's my wink noise. <laughs> well, the eyes wet. 
So as you mentioned, MSG, or monosodium glutamate, is a compound molecule that contains glutamate and binds with sodium in order to stabilize into something that can be packaged and sold in seasoning bottles. MSG became widespread in the U.S. after World War II when uh, people in the industry realized that the Japanese military had been using MSG to make things taste better. And at that point, Campbell's Soup, among other companies, began to incorporate MSG as a flavor enhancer. Wasn't there kind of like a run on people saying MSG is like super bad for you? That was actually deeply steep. Oh, sorry. You're really, you just, you're just, you're, you're. I guess I'm kind of, uh, I guess you can call me Dr. Umami. <laughs> no, you're, you're just like, you're, you're serving them up and I'm, I'm just Knocking ready. them down. Yeah, please. So in the 1960s, there was an a infamous controversial letter from a doctor about what he called, and again, controversial, he called Chinese restaurant syndrome. Oh God. The doctor wrote that he experienced symptoms similar to those of an allergic reaction. This is this. It was all from one fucking doctor having a bad Yelp review. So yeah, so he started it up saying like, you know, MSG is is dangerous. And then there was uh, a study in which researchers injected laboratory mice with MSG, which they found led to brain lesions and other neurological problems. But there were problems with the study because the researchers one injected MSG. I was about to say, what the fuck, guys? Under the mouse skin. <laughs> Which uh, obviously is not the way that we ingest MSG. <laughs> oh, no, I, I totally do. I get it up in there. <laughs> and also, mice were injected with doses fit for horses, which obviously, like, no human being is going to take in that much MSG. Yes. In one meal or, like, 100 meals, most likely. So, yeah, so there were a lot of flaws with that study. And obviously, the MSG stigma kind of prevailed for a long time. Deeply, deeply rooted in racism, which is like, if you denied yourself this good flavor because of this bullshit, then you deserve not to have the good flavor in your mouth. So, Umami picked up speed in the 1990s when they started doing studies on taste receptors, Uh, In 2000, um, molecular biologists at the University of Miami published a paper where they discovered a unique taste receptor for umami on the tongue of a mouse. So back to the mice, this time... Mouse doses. (laughs) In favor of MSG. (laughs) They didn't just throw a snowball of MSG at a mouse's, like, exposed brain. This is science. The paper demonstrated that the presence of glutamate sent a signal to the brain and caused the taster to experience the sensation of umami, uh, and that then contributed to kind of the sea change in the past, you know, 20 years or so. Fuck yeah. And then, like, people looked at that one study from that one doctor and were like, oh, wait, that's just not how science works, gang. Yeah, so so back in the 1920s, like, oh, this is an interesting taste, and I'm going to give it a name. And then now they're like, yeah, no, there's actually a taste receptor on your tongue for that taste. Interesting. It's a real thing, guys. And it's incredible and wonderful, and I love it. I mean, obviously, the best umami sort of zone for me, the obvious, like, winner is is any ramen sort of experience. I'm trying I mean, to just soy sauce, you know? like Soy sauce is, yeah. But yeah, sure. like, if you think about ramen, that's got, like, pork, too. You know, like, there's a lot of umami elements to that. I'm trying to think of my other, like, favorite umami shit. Um, like, I, like a, I like a mushroom cooked well, a nice mushroom. Mm-hmm. Well, like a mushroom pizza, you think about that's the tomato oh, that's and the mushroom. Good and, stuff, you know, man. Parmesan cheese, like that's that's super umami too. What's is this your favorite flavor? Would you say? I think honestly, I think it is. Like I tend towards savory most of the time. Like if I'm going to do a breakfast 
for example, or mm. like a drink, if there's a savory drink, a lot of times I like that too. I think it is. I think it's my favorite. I like sweet. I know you do. I like sweet. You like sweet and sour combo. Baby likes sweet. <laughs> do you like him? No. Baby like it sweet. <sighs> Baby like it sweet. This is, so I don't know if our listeners are familiar with this thing in our relationship. <laughs> Where you just do something over and over and over again till you get me to laugh, regardless of how terrible like it is. It sweet. Oh, and he's adding some gestures. Baby like it. Sweet. He's doing a real Jim Carrey Baby over there. Baby like it. Sweet. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> that one got me. <laughs> I'm just giving her some like some real Bob Fosse in there for a little bit. Do you know what our friends at home are talking about? Please tell me. Well, I'll tell you. Uh, Allie says, I think accidentally matching outfits with your friends is wonderful. It's pure coincidence. It's always funny. It makes me feel like my friends and I are on the same wavelength, even if it means we look a little silly. I love this, too. I do, too. This I, happens a lot with our friends. I feel like we spend a lot of time doing it with each other and everybody favors like gray and khaki. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> well, there's There's been a lot of parties where it's like, oh, you, you got the black pants, gray shirt memo. Congratulations. <laughs> this happens a lot on more of a uh, specific scale thanks to Stitch Fix and how everybody in our family <laughs> uses it. I saw so many Stitch Fix shirts on the bodies of my brothers. You would not believe it. Here's one from Emily who says, my small wonder is the moment when streetlights turn on at sunset. I walk through a park on my way home from work and if I get lucky, they'll turn on as I walk by them. Makes me feel feel like a wizard oh rachel doesn't like that though because it means the sun goes away and that's her best friend no, it reminds me of mary poppins so i like it it reminds me of harry popper harry potter <laughs> is what i said here's a different emily who says my wonderful thing is seeing movies at the drive-in there are two drive-in movie theaters within an hour of where i live and i go every chance i get there's something so magical about watching movies under the night sky with friends family and strangers if the movies are good watch those but if they're bad you can just look at the stars do you Holy think she shit. saw harry popper at the drive-in pretty sure i said popper <laughs> which is not even a word we used to have a drive-in here in town that died yeah well sucks. it just moved far away yeah i'm not gonna do that it used to be right next to like the new fancy H-E-B so you could go and like get yourself a bottle of wine and a nice meal and just we like... had to see Independence Day at a drive-in which was incredible oh, yeah. on Independence Day it was so good and so is the use of our theme song Money Won't Pay uh, you can find a link to that in the uh, episode description. That's That one's from Bowen and Augustus, uh, and it's fucking fantastic. And so are all the shows on MaximumFun.org. Hey, Griffin, do you like when two or three nice people talk to each other? I do. MaximumFun.org has a lot of good shows for you then. Mm-hmm. Some of them just have one just talking uh, nice stuff about themselves. <laughs> It's really great. Um, Max Fun Drive's coming up soon. There's going to be a bunch of bonus stuff, but we're going to talk about that. Yeah, there's going to be a wonderful around. pin. Yeah, there is. I'm very excited for that. Uh, thank you to uh, Rachel. I love I love you. <laughs> you're doing you're doing a dang good job over there. Thank you to the fun folks in our Facebook group. If you're looking for our Facebook group, it is still under our previous show title yes but it is worth the join um and oh if you like um bim bam or taz we're doing uh shows in april in san jose and salt lake city that we just announced you can find tickets to that at mcroy.family i think they go on sale on friday if you want to come out and say hey i mean we probably won't get a chance to meet but we'll say hey at you griffin and his family do real good live shows thank you i i would recommend it it's always a really good time thank you 
Gosh, you're making me blush over here. Mm. Make me all red and rosy all over. Baby, I'm sweet. Hey, look, you gotta look at me. It doesn't work if you don't thanks, look at me. Thanks for listening, guys. You can stop listening now. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported. Since the dawn of time, screenwriters have taken months to craft their stories. But now, three Hollywood professionals shall attempt the impossible. Break a story in one hour. That's right. Here on Story Break, I, Freddie Wong, Matt Arnold, and Will Campos, the creators behind award-winning shows like Video Game High School, have one hour to turn a humble idea into an awesome movie. Now, an awesome movie starts with an awesome title. I chose The Billionaire's Marriage Valley. Mine was Christmas Pregnant Paradise. <laughs> okay, next we need a protagonist. So I've heard Wario best described as libertarian, Mario. <laughs> and of course, every great movie needs a stellar pitch. In order to get to heaven, sometimes you gotta raise a little hell. <laughs> That's the tagline! <laughs> Check out Story Break every week on MaximumFun.org or wherever you get your podcasts.